in the house of the Lord. I'm glad I'm saved. And I'm glad I know about Calvary. And I thought, and it was mentioned, I'm not going to re-say everything that was already said in the Sunday school hour, but if the message of the church, any church, and I understand there's only one true church, and the message of the church is always Calvary. But if the message of a church, and I'm talking about a collective body, if it ever ceases to be about Calvary, and begins to be about anything else, we've lost sight of the message of the church. The main business of the church is to see sinners saved. Now we can't save sinners, but our business is to proclaim a gospel about one who can. Paul said, and he summed the gospel up in a nutshell to the church at Corinth. He said, I delivered unto you first of all how that Christ died according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. He said, that's the gospel. And I feel like, and I've heard other preachers say, I think all down through my life, as far as I can remember, I remember hearing Brother Terry Pace say that Repentance and faith are inseparable graces. And I believe that's right. And I also think that in preaching the gospel, the crucifixion and the resurrection are inseparable. You can't preach one without the other. It's not enough for Christ to die if He didn't get up. And He couldn't ever have got up had He not died. And so they're inseparable graces and they're both necessary for the gospel. The gospel is not about anything else except the substitutionary atonement of Christ for the sins of man. And the work at Calvary is done. Calvary should always be preached as a completed, finished work. Nothing's added to it. We're not adding to Calvary. Calvary's already been done. The only thing that's new about Calvary is what the writer said about there's one day I learned that it was for me he died. That's what's new about Calvary is that when sinners are awakened to the realization that Calvary was for them and the only way we'll ever be awakened is actually the working of the Spirit of God. And that's what's new about Calvary is when we realize through the preaching of the gospel and the working of the Spirit of God that it was for me He died. Thank God He died for me. I'm glad that he died for the sins of the whole world. It's what their scriptures say. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I'm glad he died for the world. But I'm glad for the day and the hour that I realized by the help of the Spirit of God that he died for me. That's what Paul said. Uh, he said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Galatians 2.20, yet not I. Christ liveth in me and the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the reality of the sinner when they can get saved is when the gospel light breaks in on them and they realize that he died for me. That's right. And you can grow up in church all your life. I did. There never was an hour that I wasn't told and taught that Christ died for sinners. That's a general truth. That Christ died. And the gospel and the Bible's full of general truths that are to be believed. Christ died for sinners. But the revelation of the gospel is that you're a sinner. When, you, when it's revealed unto you, that, that's what the gospel does. The gospel light, it penetrates the darkness and brings revelation that you're a sinner. 
that Christ died for you. That, you, that He put you in the crowd with those He died for. I'm glad this morning that He loves me. We sing that song from time to time, not very often in the, in the Red Book, but He loves me. He loves me. This I know. He gave Himself to die for me because He loved me so. Ain't that something that we can say He loves me? We teach, you know, children. We act like it's a children's song, but it's not. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I'm glad this morning He loves me. I'm glad He gave Himself for me. I'm glad to be in the house of God. I'm glad to see each one of you here. Thank the Lord for the privilege and opportunity to gather together. Revelation chapter number 2. If you have a copy of the Word of God this morning, turn to the book of the Revelation chapter number 2. Trust the Lord will help us this morning, and I certainly need your prayers. Ask the Lord to speak to us and through us what He would have for us to have today. Revelation chapter 2, let's stand if you're able, willing to do so out of reverence and honor to the reading of the Word of God. Revelation chapter number 2, I begin reading in verse number 1. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he, holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. Now, we read these verses here in Revelation chapter number 2. And I'm very well aware that in these days in which we're living, especially in this hour, that the book of Revelation has become a very controversial book. The Lord, when He wrote the Scripture and inspired the Scripture, never intended for any portion of Scripture to be controversial among the people of God. He expected us to let the Spirit of God lead us in our understanding of the Word of God. There is a reality that there are some things that are more difficult to understand than others. There are some passages of Scripture that we often wrestle with, and I'm not here this morning, I don't want you to 
have any guards up or any walls up. I'm not here this morning to preach about end times or eschatology or debate about any of that. I'm just wanting to preach what the Lord has dealt with my heart about. And here in the book of Revelation, we're told if we were to go back and read in the first chapter, of course, the same human penman, the same author is writing who wrote the epistles which we've been studying in the Sunday school hour, the apostle John. He wrote the gospel of John. He wrote first, second, and third John. And he also wrote the book of the Revelation. And so at this time, John said that he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. And while he was there, the Bible said he was in the Spirit, capital S, on the Lord's day. And he said, I heard a voice behind me as the sound of many waters. And he said, I turned to hear or to see this voice, see who was speaking to me. And he said, I saw a man standing there. And he said that his raiment was unlike anything I'd ever seen. He said his hair and his head was white like wool and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His raiment was white and glistering. His clothing white from the, from the top all the way under the sole of his feet girt about the paps with a, a golden girdle. He said I, I saw him and he said he spoke to me and he said I am he which hath the seven stars and the seven golden candlesticks. He said, I'm going to show you a mystery. And he begins to speak. And if you look this morning, and if your Bible's a red letter Bible, all seven verses that were read this morning are written in red. And this is the words of the Lord. And it's the Lord that's speaking to John. He said, I'm going to tell you about some things that are going to be hereafter. And he said, I want to reveal to you who these seven stars and these seven golden candlesticks are. He said the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. He said the seven golden candlesticks are the seven churches. Of course we understand that seven churches that are written to both in Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3 they were seven literal churches in Asia Minor. We also understand that they represent seven different dispensations of time in the church age. And the word dispensations almost become a a dirty word and a misused and a misinterpreted word, but dispensation just simply means seven different periods of time inside the church age. It never ceases to be the church age. It's not seven different church ages, but it's seven periods of time within the church age. Of course, we know and understand that we're living in the last of the seven, the Laodicean church age. But there are things which we can glean and gather from every church age that the Lord wrote to. It's still a message to the church. And everything that's said in Revelation 2 and Revelation 3 is written to the church. Even Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20 when he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and sup with him and he with me. That was written to the church. It's been misapplied. I understand that maybe the spiritual application can be made that the Lord knocks at the heart of the door of the heart of the sinner. I understand all of that, but he's not writing to the sinner, he's writing the church. 
The church of the Laodiceans had put God on the outside and shut the door and said we can operate without you inside the house of God. And that's where we are in this day. But it's amazing to me that the first church and the last church have so much in common with the problem that they have. Now I want you to look here in the Scripture. And I'm just going to preach this morning how the Lord put it on my heart. My heart's been burdened with this for the last couple of days. The Lord speaks to John. He, he says, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, right. Now there's a lot of debate about this. If, if God was meaning a literal angel in heaven, He would not have needed John to write to them. But the word angel here means messenger. And so John is being commanded to write to the pastor or the leader or the overseer of the church at Ephesus. The literal church at Ephesus. And he says, I want you to write, these things saith he. Now I want want you to stop and take notice of something here. Every letter that John is commanded to write to every church, the Lord introduces himself in a different way. And the way that he introduces himself will have bearing upon what he's going to say to the church in the letter. And to Ephesus he said, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And look what he says in verse number 2 and verse number 3. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. The Lord is commending the church at Ephesus. He said you have works and labor and patience. Look look at what is said about them. And how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Look at this. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars. The Lord is commending the church at Ephesus for what was taught to us this morning in Sunday school. They had discernment about false doctrines and false teachers. They knew, the Lord says, you know, you've tried them, you have practiced and experienced discernment and have found out there are some that say they're apostles or are sent from God and have found them to be liars and that they are not so. And for that they were to be commended. These are good things that is going on at the church in Ephesus. The Lord is commending them or recording. He is letting them know that He has made record of their works. He said, and you have borne, which means they were burden bearers, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. They had not lost heart. That's what Paul commended the church or instructed the church at Galatia. He said, uh, he said, it be not weary and well doing for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And the Lord said, you have labored for my name's sake, and you have not fainted. Now, if we could just have verse 2 and 3, it'd be wonderful. And uh, at the top of my Bible, depending on what particular Bible, I'm talking about the printer of the Bible, that you have different headings are there. And mine says it calls Ephesus the active church. They were an active church full of works and full of deeds. They had works and labor and patience and discernment. They bore burdens and they had labored for His namesake and not fainted. All that is wonderful. But the biggest word in the whole letter is found in verse number four. And He said, never 
the less. I have somewhat against thee. The word nevertheless means without regarding. Or I have an objection or an exception. In other words, the Lord said, I cannot regard all that I have spoken of you, even though they are good works and good labor and spiritual discernment and bearing burdens and not fainting. He said, there's still a problem with verse 2 and 3. And he said, the problem is, you have left your first love. He said, nevertheless, even though you've labored, even though you have patience, even though you have found those not to be apostles which said they were, even though you've borne burdens, even though you've not fainted, he said, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. I want to preach this morning, if God will be my helper, for just a few minutes on first things first. That's what's on my heart, first things first. See, the word first here speaks of priority. And the Lord's saying to the church at Ephesus, your priorities are not right. The word first speaks of a position. And the Lord is literally saying, I'm not in the right position in the church. The word Ephesus, many people are, and I'm just going to give you what's on my heart this morning. The word Ephesus, many people, many writers, many scholars debate about what it means. Some say that the word Ephesus means desire. That would have application here that their desires were not in the right order. Some say that the word emphasis means permitted and that would also have application here that they had permitted all their labor and it be a nevertheless kind of labor because they had left their first love. They just assumed that in all their works and in all their deeds and in all their labor and in all their patience that they had what they needed to have but they assumed incorrectly. They were so busy doing what they needed to do or felt they needed to do, so busy about their words, so busy about their labor, that the Lord said you have left your first love. The word leave here means, and this is really important, uh, it's the first of everything the Lord said. He said you have left thy first love. The word left means to go away, leaving something behind. Uh, The word left means to leave one by not taking them with you as your companion. The Lord said you're out there laboring. You're out there with patience. You're out there working. You're out there trying apostles and finding them to not be so. You're out there bearing burdens. You're out there not fainting. But he said you're out there and I'm back here. And you have left your first love. And the picture that came to my mind, the Lord wrote the scripture, nothing's in there by coincidence. But the picture come to my mind 
of when we're recorded for us. It's written to us in the book of Luke chapter 2. When the Lord has been born and He's grown up some, He's 12 years old, and they go up. The Bible said that Mary and Joseph went up for the feast of the Passover every year. They went to Jerusalem. And so they went there again at this particular time. They always took the Lord with them. And while they were there, they did their thing that needed to be done, accomplished their days. And then they began the trip back. And the Bible said, supposing him to be in the company. But he was not. And so they have went and done done all their rituals, done all their routines. They've been in the house of God. They're among the people of God. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're walking in the way they're supposed to be walking. But yet the Bible said he was not in the company. How many times in our day, and I think that that's a great problem of our church age today, is we're so busy. Uh, we live in the busiest age, not just in the world, uh, but in the church. Uh, there are so many things going on, and this going on, and that going on, and everybody's so busy doing this, and busy doing that. Everybody's trying to figure out a game that'll draw the kids, and a gimmick that'll draw adults, and, and some way to get them in, and some way to keep them in. And the problem in the midst of it all, uh, the reason there's no success. I understand that that's a a worldly term and I'm not preaching about the world's idea of success. But the reason why we're not successful in the eyes of God, the reason why that we have to look at games and gimmicks and all these things is we're doing all that we're doing but we have loved the first love. The Lord's not in the company. We've supposed him to be in the company but he's not in the company. I thought about and I understand it's Old Testament Scripture. I understand it was a different day then. The Spirit of God did not indwell men in that day. I understand. But I believe it has application here that when Samson finally told Delilah everything that he wasn't supposed to tell her, that his power and his strength came from his hair. And we know that it wasn't really in his hair. It's in the vow that it had taken been separated unto God. As a Nazarite, she cut his hair off and she awoke him and said, Samson, Samson, the Philistines be upon thee. And the Bible said that he rose and shook himself and went out as other times and wist not that the power of God had departed from him. We live in a church world today that we don't even realize. Ephesus did not realize. That's why they needed this letter and this message from the Lord. They did not even realize that they had left their first love. They were so busy, so caught up in everything they were doing, going here and there, bearing their burdens and all these things. I'm not preaching against anything that Ephesus was doing. What they were doing was commendable, but the way in which they were doing it was the problem. They had left their first love. It's kind of like when Achan in the Old Testament took the accursed thing and hid it in his tent. And then the next time that they went out to battle, they went up against Ai, which was a small little town. Should have been no trouble for the people of God to overcome, but they were smitten and there fell hundreds because that God was not with them. And they didn't even know it. And we're living in a day just like that. 
We're living in a Samson day where we're going about doing what we've always done and we're trying to preach like we have him and we don't have him. I'm not talking about it. I understand that he indwells us, but you understand what the Lord was saying here, not that they were not his, not that they did not belong to him, but the fact was that his manifested presence and his power, they had walked away. They had walked away from it. They had not taken him with them as their companion. They had walked, they had moved a distance from God and left something valuable behind. He said, you born and labored and had patience and tried false apostles and all these things. But he said, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. I want you to notice something. This is really, and if, I, if I, you don't hear anything else I have to say this morning, this is what I want you to hear. And the Lord dealt with my heart so real last night, and I appreciate Him doing that. And never before I thought about it this way. But here in the Scripture, I want you to know what the Lord says about them. The only thing, one of the only things He repeats twice about them. In verse number 2, He said, And how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And in verse number 6, He said, But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. They had no problem hating evil. Now I'm not preaching against hating evil. We're supposed to despise evil. Abstain from all, if it even. And we're living in a day today that this verse has about been ripped out and thrown in the garbage. But the scriptures say if it even appears to be evil, we're to abstain from all appearance of evil. That's what the Bible said. Paul, that's a Pauline epistle. If there's, and all the Bible is for us. And everybody wants to argue. Everybody wants to debate. I understand it wasn't all written to us, but it was all written for us, or it wouldn't be preserved for us. But they want to debate. That's straight out of a Pauline epistle, the apostle of the Gentile church, which we are. And Paul said the church at Thessalonica abstain from all appearance of evil. And I'm all for, and you know me, it's just us this morning. I'm all for preaching against sin. We're not in the shape we're in because we've had too much preaching on sin. But we're living in a day where we have no problem hating sin. I'm talking about among the church. I understand there's a lot of sin coming in, but I'm preaching what the Lord was preaching the church. He said, you hate them that do evil. You can't stand them. You can't bear them. You've tried those false apostles and found them to be not. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. They were false apostles. And they brought in that it was okay to eat things sacrificed to idols and it was okay to commit fornication among the people of God. And God said, I hate them and I hate their deeds. And you hate it too. They had no problem hating evil, but they had a problem loving God. All the while, they're focusing all their efforts into hating evil and missing the main thing, and that was loving God. I'm afraid in this day, and it was taught this morning in Sunday school so well, But I'm afraid in this day and everything that he mentioned was on my heart already that we have took the wrong approach at counterfeit. 
Do you know what I've been told and studied and read about it in days gone by? And I tried to read a little bit about it again in preparation this morning. Do you know when they take someone in that's going to spend the rest of their career examining or knowing counterfeit currency, they don't put them in a room with counterfeit. You know why? Because counterfeits always change it. They might study the counterfeiter today. And the counterfeit of tomorrow may be different than the counterfeit of today. They don't put all their time and all their effort into studying the counterfeit. They don't spend all their time on the counterfeit. But they spend all their time on the real. All their time on the genuine. And when you know the genuine, you have no problem recognizing the counterfeit. But we're living in a day where as preachers and teachers of the Word of God, we need to express and put forth and proclaim the real. I understand exposing the faith. I understand all that. But our business is not to publish all the faith. Our business is to proclaim the real. And if the real is proclaimed and the real is understood and the real is taken in, it'll expose the faith every time. But we're so caught up and I see it all around us. The preachers and churches are so caught up in all the fake and all the false and they're going after and they're hating it and that's right. But it's not right if it's taking us away from loving our first love. Now I want to say this. And the Lord got to do in my heart and I just got to sit in there and I said the other night, and I'm not an authority on prayer by any means, but I was just saying, Lord, help me to understand this. Because man, it was a weighing heavy in me. Help me to understand. I mean, this is the church. And we're in a day where we're going after everything. And I'm talking about preachers. I'm talking about real preachers. I understand there's some out there that not everybody that calls himself a preacher is one. You don't need me to tell you that. Not everything that puts the name church on their building is a church. And we're in a day day they don't even want to put church. And that's good because they're not. There's but one message of the church. Paul said, I delivered unto you first the gospel which I also received. He said, there's no other message to be preached to you. I said, Lord, here we are in these last days and we got no problem. I'm talking about among the true believers and the true church and real preachers. I said, we got no problem hating sin. We got no problem. Hey, I mean, just, and I'm not knocking it. I know I do it. And I'm, I don't want you to take it the wrong way. And I don't think you will this morning if the Lord will speak to your heart. I mean, every time we come together, we talk about something false or something fake. And I understand they need to be exposed. They need to be tried. That's what the Scripture said. That's what we looked at in Sunday school this morning. It was taught so well. Try the spirits. And for some reason or another, I was texting another preacher and he said, what do you think about... And I didn't realize at the time that that's where we had got to in the Sunday school. But there's a preacher this week, Brother Tim, texted me and said, what do you think about that verse? Try the spirits. Lord KSS. I got to studying it, you know, and we all have the same first thoughts, demonic spirits, evil spirits, 
false spirits. Oh, that's right. And that's what John was talking about because he was talking about false apostles and false teachers. But do you know the word spirit, if you look it up in the Strong's Concordance, also means affections, emotions, feelings. Uh, these false prophets of our day are good at stirring up your emotions, stirring up your feelings, stirring up your affections. Uh, just because you get a twinge on the inside and your heart skips a beat and you tingle on the, on the inside does not necessarily mean that it's of God. We better try the spirits. We better try our emotions. We better try our feelings. If they don't line up with the facts of the Word of God and if they're not led by faith, we cannot operate on those kind of feelings. But we live in a generation today that's all about feeling. Give us a feeling. They'd rather have feeling over fact any day. They'd rather have feeling over faith. And that's a natural. And the reason that false prophets are so successful is because it's the natural course of man to want a feeling. It's a natural course of the flesh to want to be driven or led by feelings. They'd rather have feeling over faith. Faith is supernatural. Faith takes faith. It's not of us. And our flesh is contrary to it. And so we have to watch about our feelings. I was praying. I said, Lord, how is it? How is it that we are where we are today? And we're so caught up. We're so caught up. When we ought to be following Christ... Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And we ought to be following hard after our first love. But we've got wind of something else. Like a hunting dog, we've got put off on the wrong track. We're not tracking what we ought to try. I understand it ought to be said. It ought to be preached about. But the main thrust of the preaching the gospel, it's not about false gospels. It's about the real gospel. And we spend all our day hating what's wrong as they did. And we've not understood that in all of our tracking and all of our pursuit, we have walked away from our first love. And it hit me, Brother Tim, like a ton of bricks. And the Lord said, I said it'd be so. In Matthew 20, I never had saw it this way before in all my life. And I'm not bragging on me, I'm thanking the Lord this morning. He said in Matthew 24, And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. You know what happened to the church at Ephesus? Iniquity abounded. And they got took out after the sin and hating the sin and they let their love grow cold. It's not talking about the world. It's not talking about the world uh, sinning and being uh, that they are sinning. It's not talking about the world. Love is never expressed by the world. The Scripture never puts love with the world. We can't, the world cannot love. You cannot love scripturally until the lover has moved in you. Till you've experienced the love of God, you cannot love. And so anytime the Lord speaks about love, it's always the people of God. And Jesus said, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. We're there. The Lord said, you hate their deeds. You can't bear them that are evil. You've tried them which are false. You've hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. But I have somewhat against thee Thou hast left thy first love. 
Now I'm glad the Lord didn't just tell them this and then move on to the next church. But He told them the remedy. He said there's a fix for where you're at. And this is what He says. Three words in, this, in the next verse. In verse number 5. Number 1, He said, Remember. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen. He's not talking about remembering our old life of sin, but He's talking about remember the day when you loved the first love and where you are now. The Lord's saying take inventory of where you were and now where you are. And He says if there's a decline in your love for Christ, He said then you've left your first love. He said if there was a day in which your love for me was stronger than it is now. He said, then you're part of the crowd that's left their first love. The first love is the Lord. He is the first love, the true love, the top priority love of the church. There's nothing else that can be put in here. It doesn't matter what other Bible teachers say, what other so-called scholars say. There's nothing else that can be put here. The only first love is Christ. He's the first love of the church. And when we love Him, people say, well, what about your fellow man? Well, you have to love Christ first before you can love your fellow man, right? And so our first love is Him. And He said, remember therefore, take inventory of where you were and where you are now. And He said, when you take inventory and realize that where you were and where you are now, that there's a discrepancy or you have departed or you have left your first love, you realize that you're guilty. He said then the next word is repent. Repent. Acknowledge that the inventory, and we're not talking about it's the Spirit of God that's doing inventory. When He's speaking to us and we're realizing that we did love Him more at one time than we do now. That's the, it's not us manifesting that. That's the Spirit of God working in us as the people of God. And He's the one that does the inventory. <coughs> He's the one that sheds light on the fact that there was a day when we loved Him more than we do now. And He said, when you remember, when you take that inventory, then He said, repent. And in repentance is a desire to change. There's an acknowledgement. There's a grief. It grieves us that we have left our first love. We own it. We say, you're right, Lord. We have left you. And then He said, and the word's not in here, but what He means is return. Repent. Remember, repent, and then return. He said, and do the first works. You say, what does that mean? That means go back to the place where love was right in your heart, however long it is. If it's a week ago, if it's a month ago, if it's a year ago, however long it is ago, that love for Christ was right in your heart, go back there and start again. And then he says, these are big words that come from God. He said, or else. Or else. Now I want you to see something and I'm done. 
And I know I said, Lord, this is Sunday morning. This is not necessarily a Sunday. And we're, as preachers, we're really bad. And I think I can group most all of us together. As preachers, we're really bad about categorizing what kind of messages should be preached at what services. You always want to preach, you know, something real high on Sunday morning and then, you know, Sunday night just depends on how Sunday morning went. Wednesday night's usually instructional. But it does, if God says to preach it, it don't matter what service we're in. Now, up until this point, until the Lord wrote this letter, it is apparent by the Scripture, not by my opinion, it's apparent by the Scripture that these people did not know they had left their first love. And so God did not deal with them harshly until they were brought through the Scripture and the work of the Spirit of God to the realization that they had left their first love. And now that they are enlightened, now that they are opened eyes to the fact that they have left their first love, then they must respond to the message that's been preached to them or else. God did not say or else in verse number 1. But when God's message came, and apparently it began to penetrate the hearts of the church at Ephesus. And the Lord said, remember. And as the Spirit of God worked in them, remembering. And they realized that there's, they're at a place lower in love for Christ than they were before. And they began to repent. And then He said, return or else. And this is what He said, or else I will come unto thee quickly. And will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Now I said before, in the beginning, that the way the Lord introduces Himself is going to be how He's going to deal with the church. And the Lord introduces Himself through the pen of John. And He says, I want you to tell them that I am He that holdeth the seven stars in His right hand, and who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. He said, the messengers in my right hand bear my message. And he said, I own the candlesticks and I'm walking in the midst of them. I have What the Lord is saying is I have the authority to remove your candlestick out of its place. And there have been so many people that have got so crossways and backwards. He's not talking about removing your salvation. He's not talking about taking away the church. But the candlestick is what gave the light. It's the impact. It's the influence. And there's no way to have influence and impact as the people of God without the power of God. And so the Lord said, if you don't repent and return to the first love, He said, I'll remove your candlestick out of its place. We look around in our day, and I'm not any man's judge. I'm just going off the Scripture. And can I say, by the way, while I'm there, that we live in a, in a world today that their favorite verse is judge not that you be not judged. Well, the reality is the Scripture gave us the ability to judge certain things. We're not the judge of any man's soul. We're not the judge that by that statement. We, the, the people do not give an account to us. But we have discernment through the Scripture that is to be exercised in our day. But we're not any man's judge as far as their work. They're not going to give an account to us. But the reality is the Scriptures say if you don't repent, 
I look around in our day and it's an apparent fact that either one of two things is all that it can be. Number one, they're like the church of Ephesus and they don't even know that they've left their first love. Number two, the Lord sent the message and they would not repent. And so He removed the candlestick from out of its place. And here's what the Scriptures say, and it was stirring so... And I, I feel like that I've done a poor job delivering my heart this morning. But it was stirring so in me when Brother Tim this morning was teaching in Sunday school and got to the end talking about at Calvary. By God's Word at last my sin I learned. I want you to know what... And, and there are people out there that are so resistant against the doctrine of revelation by the Spirit of God. But that's what conviction is. It's a con- that's where we get our word convince. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to convince a sinner that they are a sinner. And without convincing, there's no need for a Savior. It's not heaven or hell. We've took that today. Nobody wants to go to hell and everybody wants to go to heaven and that's why we've taken the power out of the hands of God and put it in the hands of men and we've made about heaven and hell. It's not about, it's about sinners and the Savior. But no sinner will ever want a Savior until they first realize by the help of God that they're a sinner. I want you to look what the Lord said. He said, I'm writing to those who are genuinely mine. Because he said, He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. Apparently there were some among the congregation that were not really born again and they did not have this ear. He wasn't talking about had a physical, he's talking about a spiritual ear that had been opened. Let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. I'm glad for the day when my spiritual ears were opened and I heard what the Spirit of God had to say to me. But I also realize and understand that in these days there are many people. Now, there's two applications here, I believe. The Lord said, He that hath an ear. So there are some that did not and some that did. But then beyond that, some that did, did not want to hear. And the Lord said, if you have an ear, let you hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. I'm afraid that many people in this day who really have an open ear, who have an ear of God, have plugged and stopped their ears because they don't want to hear what the Spirit has to say unto the church. But the Lord said, it's first things first. He said, you have, le- you have labor and patience and good works and borne burdens and hated evil deeds and tried false apostles and labored and not fainted and all these things are wonderful. But He said, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. He said, remember, repent, and return or else I'll come to you quickly. Those are big words when said from God, or else. Or else. Father, I thank You, Lord, this morning for the privilege and the opportunity to have been in the house of God. Lord, I tried my best 
by your help this morning to deliver what's on my heart. I know, Lord, that it's a, a different gear and a different atmosphere.